Hello and welcome to the Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. I'm the Pork. I'm Blake. And uh, are you a happy Blake? Well, I'm, I'm not that happy. I mean, I can't imagine uh, too many Raiders fans are overly thrilled with um, how we've started the season. I mean, we kind of probably, you know, feared the worst after the Josh Hodgson injury. But uh, yeah, it certainly hasn't been... Um, the signs have not been good so far. And uh, after we recorded our first podcast, um, my son was talking to our next door neighbor and uh, he was explaining to them how his, he was up in bed and he overheard his father and uh, the pork making a radio show at home. And she's like, oh, they're making a radio show. What was it about? And he said, the Canberra Raiders. And then she said, well, what were they saying about the Canberra Raiders? And he said, well, usually how they lose. And then he said to her, you know, it's not easy being a Canberra Raiders fan. So at seven years old, I've already managed to pass that on to him. Well, that's very good. That's yeah. very good. Now, I believe we've also passed a few other things on that we've put a, qu- a question out, four questions for people. You know, what did they want to ask Blake and the pork? And we've got a few questions coming in. First, of course, from the legendary Katrina Fanning, uh, former captain of the Gillaroos, front row, also played for Australia in uh, rugby union, and of course is Laurie Daly's cousin and the person that the women's uh, competition trophy is named after. So, wow, very good credentials for yeah. asking a question from us. And she wants to know, what is the impact of limited trial games on the Raiders? And also we've seen this problem with the Broncos as well, with people questioning why they only played one. Um, yeah, that is an interesting way. Has it taken some time to get the combinations together? Has it time to get the defensive structures together? One could say that perhaps with more trial games, there would have been a little bit more experience in those areas and maybe the defensive frailties we've seen in the first two rounds wouldn't have been, been there. You'd also think with the whole new, you know, trying different people at hooker, the rotation, it would have been worth, you know, experimenting that with that a bit more, giving someone like Havili more minutes leading up to the first game of the season but I mean it's it's done now but yeah you do you do have to wonder if if, every, if the standard sort of uh, consensus is two trial games was the way to go for the majority of the clubs you wonder why we only ever stick to one and like last year we you know had that one against Newcastle where we, it, was be, it was barely even a trial game we put the good side you know out there for only a few minutes after having this whole return to Seaford thing that a lot of people were excited about. And then they got to see the team put in a very poor performance. Well, I know the theory behind the limited trial games is to try and avoid burnout by the end of the season to actually take the load off and come into the season and hopefully be all right. Obviously, the Raiders' uh, start to their season hasn't been crash hot enough to justify that. But... um, as we'll get to, there have been a few extenuating circumstances within that. So our second question comes from a friend of yours and someone who's well-credentialed in the world of the Canberra Raiders. Tony Winterbottom was formerly the marketing manager for Defence Housing Australia and he's actually the man that's behind the incredibly popular Viking beanie. And aren't they the most wonderful thing? The horn beanie is absolutely wonderful. It's, I think everyone loves them. I was saying to you before, Tim, that... Um, Although they were free in Canberra, you used to see them going on eBay for quite big money because there were Raiders fans who couldn't get to the games who were desperate to, uh, to get their hands on one. So if you've still got one one or two or several, as some people have, you know, you can make a buck out of them too. So Well, they're absolutely wonderful, and I think there's about eight or nine in this house. So Tony asks us, uh, the best next centre option, who is the worst defender in the team? Uh, Garvey versus Austin or Caesar as 14s. Is Austin trying too hard? Well, there's a bunch of questions there. Uh, who's the next best centre option, you believe? You'd think it would be Nick Kotrick. I mean, we'd like to see how he goes in this set. We're assuming the team's been named for this coming game against uh, the Warriors. And uh, Leilua's like been named, but you'd have to think he's long odds to playing. So. You would. So I think I'd probably like to see Nick Kotrick 
Yeah. But they'd be, he'd be switching sides, but... Someone told me he has played a bit of right centre before. Is that right? Do you know? I think he'd be. Yeah, he has for Australia in the junior in yeah. the junior Kangaroos. Um, the next question in that is who is the worst defender in the team? Well, that depends on the circumstance. I would say it's purely on tackling. I guess Sam Williams is is the the least you know physically able to um, pull off the tackles. But Blake Austin, as we saw uh, on the weekend against the Knights, is capable of rushing out of the line. That was a bad decision rather than bad defence. I think he's quite capable of taking players down. In that case, it was a bad decision in the line as opposed to not bad. He worked very hard on his defence in the last couple of years to the point where he's actually a pretty decent one-on-one tackler. His issue there was he was not in the right place and made a bad choice rather than he's a bad defender. Yeah. In in the sense of actually bringing a player down. I think as much as I love our Sammy, and I do love our Sammy, I would suggest that it probably is him. Oh, yeah, I'd say so too. But, the but thing, he's not in the team to tackle. A la James Maloney, he's the yes, worst missed tackler in the league. He's not there to tackle either. But, and this is the thing, I think, that most good sides can sort of carry one one, one subpar defender. I mean, Darren Lockyer was never a great tackler. You know, there's, there's a long history of, of players. There's the exceptional halves, like the Andrew Johns, who are good, good defensively. Mm, but I mean, Rory Daly. Yeah, well, I guess he was, you know, he used to absolutely belt people. He was, he was a big guy. But Ricky Stewart used to play behind the line. He did. He called the, the defence. Yeah, right. it was the like a, it was like a he was like a, a fullback before you got to that actual fullback. He was calling the defence. He was very good at it. So the next question Tony's got for us is Garvey versus Austin or Caesar at fourteens. I I would personally love to see Garvey in the fourteen. I'd love to have a look at him. I was hoping we'd see that this weekend. I still sort of hold out hopes that he'll be there. He, the reports are that he's been playing quite well in the Mounties. I would like to see him there. My word is he's quite good and full on in, in defence. I think the first thing you start with is get your defence right and then yeah. you worry about the flashy stuff next. I think we have to get back to basics. I'd like to see Garvey there. Um, I don't particularly want to see Austin in the 14. I want to see Austin in six. I've enjoyed his running game. And what are your thoughts on Caesar? It's hard to say. I mean, it's it's been a tough sort of role he's been asked to play so far and you know he hasn't set the world on fire um, his defence has been criticised ultimately our issues so far this season aren't scoring points mm. we're scoring points you score 28 points a game you know you should really be doing enough to win traditionally we need to score 20 to th- 28 to 30 points we're not a team that wins games by scoring 14, 16, 18 mm. we normally need to get around that 28 to 30 and we're getting those, that many points but the problem is defence mm. So, you know, whether it's Garvey coming off the bench, you know, when Havili needs a rest, at least you've got that defensive side tied up. I would personally like to see Garvey starting. I would love to see him as the starting. I would, I just have a feeling he's the right option. Um, Havili's done some good things there. He's done some bad things there. When Caesar's come on, my major concern about him coming on in that role is Sammy seems to go back into his shell. And I don't think we need Sammy in his shell. I think we need Sammy out of his shell and doing his thing. And when Caesar comes on, he should be doing a traditional dummy half role rather than taking on playmaking duties. Last question from Tony, of course, is Austin trying too hard? Well, I mean, he was trying too hard to shut down Mitchell Pearce. He was. And that had diabolical consequences. It did. Yeah, I mean, is he trying too hard? Quite possibly. I mean, the pressure's on him, obviously. He um, is up to renew his contract apparently he got made one offer that was you know seven eight hundred thousand dollars a year and then has balked at it and then now they've made him a reduced offer which never seems to be a good way to keep a player by offering them a reduced contract but yeah i think that he's probably feeling under pressure you know last year he wasn't that great 
and um, his yeah his contract uh, is up. Um, I think his form so far this season has really been quite good. I was quite impressed. Very surprised to see him named on the bench for this weekend. Um, I thought he was one of the things that went well against the Knights. I wanted to see him get more ball. I thought what he did was pretty good. And apart from the mistake in defence right at the end, um, I thought he was pretty good. Uh, our next question comes from T. Wade and Ricky Stewart's cut and paste press conferences. Now, you've been watching these, and what are your thoughts on those, Blake? You can tell that he's only there um, because he's contractually obliged to. All NRL coaches are obliged to attend the press conferences. They are usually pretty brief, and uh, yeah, he's not giving away a lot. It's pretty much along the lines of, I know what the problem is, and I know how to fix it, which is what he says every week, and he's been saying that for quite a while. And yes, I mean, it's not, I guess, I don't know what us as fans hope to hear in press conferences. It's a new phenomenon, especially in the sort of the digital social media age that you can even get access to these things. They more or less happen behind closed doors. And uh, yeah, it's not, he's not, I don't think he's, nothing he's saying is terribly inspiring to the fans. No, and you're right, it is a contractual obligation. It is actually in the NRL operations manager uh, manual where it's actually listed that he must do those things. But do you know what else is listed in the NRL operations manual, Blake? No idea. That the blue shirt trainers have to get off the field as soon as they relay the message. Not enforced, that one. <laughs> not enforced. Not enforced at all. Of course, the next question comes from uh, regular listener um, and big-time fan, AJ Mithen. Where's this great shape everyone's supposed to be in after a tough preseason? Well, I think the player that personally stands out for me in this regard, and it pains me to say it because when he plays well, when he's on fire, the Raiders are going forward. But Josh Papali in the second half of the Newcastle Knights match in spite of the fact the Raiders had the majority of the ball and a glut of possession, looked like he was completely, completely out of effort and energy. And when he dropped that ball in that tackle, handing a ball over at a very crucial point, I believe it was purely because he was so gassed that he really wasn't up to it. I I thought he was fairly ineffectual in attack and in defence in in the match, and he really has to decide. Because he's also out of contract at the end of this year. He also has to decide whether what he wants to be at this stage. He's still comparatively a young player for a person with as much experience as he has. We know how good he can be. But if this side is going to be competitive this year, a lot rests on Josh Papali actually bending the line and doing what we know he can do. And to do that, he needs to be in better form and he needs to be able to play big minutes. Last season... Quite effectively, Junior Paulo, who looks like he swallowed a pig, you know, he's that big, yeah. um, was playing 55 minutes yeah, and no, making tackles and not missing them. I expect Josh Papali to be able to put 10 minutes on that. He's yeah. not carrying that much, well, but he's carrying too much beef at the moment. He's out of shape and he's out of form and he really needs to find that again if the Raiders are going to get two points. He's traditionally an 80-minute player, isn't he, Josh Papali? I mean, he generally has, and it wouldn't be this, though, this wouldn't be the first year... Um, where he's taken a while to get going. He's come in sort of a bit overweight and and it usually coincides with some sort of rep duties in the off-season, so he hasn't done a full pre-season. I mean, the guys that... Um, I think generally the, the, the fitness of the squad looks quite good, but it is just the guys, particularly the Samoan boys, coming back from the World Cup where they just apparently just partied and ate way too much. <laughs> yeah, they didn't come back in good form. They were definitely all in the fat club. Yeah. Our last question that we got comes from Gary Allen. And he writes, If Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, why hasn't Ricky been committed yet? Blake? It's, uh, nice of you to throw that one over to me. Um, 
Yeah, well, it's the whole... Ricky's at an interesting point, I think, in his coaching career because this sort of coming back to the Raiders was pretty much, I think, make and break in his career. And, and ultimately, this was the tenure by which he'd be judged. He has a sort of a, a, a strong sort of... There's been a track record at both the Roosters and at the Sharks of starting off really well and then results tailing off. And, you know, the general theory about that in the past was that, you know, he was so intense that those really intense coaches, that really intense approach only works for so long. A la Maguire at South, so the players sort of get sick of that really intense um, style and it stops having the, the same effect. And uh, Ricky has said that he's toned down his sort of his rage and his anger in recent years. So I don't know if it's had much of an effect or not. But um, yeah, I think, you know, he's still got two more years left on his contract. Obviously, the club's not going to sack him. That'll never happen. Whether or not he's destined for some sort of move upstairs at the end of that contract into a more senior management role is another possibility. I don't know. Is there is there an obvious successor that we're grooming? Is Brett White seen as a future first grade coach? I don't know. Well, firstly, my opinion is, as you know, I'm a rusted on Ricky Stewart fan. Um, and uh, he still has my complete faith as both a supporter and a, and a broadcaster. Um Look, there, there are obviously issues there, and he'd be the first one to say the buck stops with him. Um, and no one will be working harder to try and get over these, these situations. I personally think um, we've suffered a few injuries. There's three key injuries at the moment to Joe Tarpanay, Josh Hodgson, and Joey Lalua. Had those three injuries not happened, I think you wouldn't find the Raiders down you know, with no wins on the board at the present moment. I think you'd find them with two wins on the board at this present stage. Unfortunately, now they're fighting for their season this weekend against the Warriors. Yeah, who are in form, in shape, you know, looking mm. great. Anyway, thank you very much, you valiant listeners, for sending in your questions. It has been awesome. <laughs> yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I think that, you know, the, where we're at, though, is like, yeah, this this week really is, is the... Is the defining moment of the season if we're 0-3 it's going to be very hard to come back and have any sort of uh, sustained run well history tells us that in the last 40 years only one side has lost their first three matches and gone on to claim the premiership and that was the North Queensland Cowboys in 2015 and they had a guy called Jonathan Thurston calling the shots now yeah. He's a sort of freaky guy who can make history, you know, bend. And that's not to say the Raiders don't have some freaks on their side who can do that as well. Um, but Jonathan Thurston is one of the more impressive names, I think, destined to be an immortal and something else. I think the Raiders have to get a two-point win this weekend any way they can. The key word in winning ugly is winning. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't even... But I mean, I wouldn't even judge this season as a success by winning the Premiership. I think from this point, if we made the eight, that would be, you know... The benchmark, that's what we'd be aspiring to do. I don't, certainly don't think we're going to win the Premiership. Well, I'm going to throw a cliche in here. It's one match at a time, head down, and everything else look after itself. Yeah. But I tell you right now, the boys would be filthy on themselves. Filthy, and they'd be gutted. <laughs> they'd be gutted. Filthy and, and gutted. As Ricky Stewart would say, there's 17 blokes in those sheds and they're hurting. <laughs> they certainly are. That's the other thing he says every week. Yeah, apart yeah. from, uh, yeah, every, after every loss. Apart from, I know what the problem is. Yeah. And I know how to fix it. There's 17 blokes in there hurting anyway. Um, one of the things that I've sort of been wondering about is maybe uh, how we're going in the captaincy direction. Like, is... I'll pose a question to you. Is Jared Croker... Everyone knows he's a great guy. We all love him. 
Is he too nice to be a captain? Does he get the sort of respect from the referees that some of the other uh, captains in the league get? Uh, I think those two questions are different questions. I think that there are some captains within the NRL who get a completely different rub of the green to other ones. And that's not necessarily to do with whether the person's a good captain or a nice captain. That's just generally to do with whether you're a star or whether you're not. And that happens That happens in in every sporting league around the world. You, know, you look at the Premier League and Manchester United and Liverpool tend yeah. to get... Well, more free kicks, better decisions, etc., etc. I do you in for a day as of Bill Harrigan, who thought he was better than all of them, and it didn't matter who walked up to them, he told them to get <laughs> staffed. Um, and that was my sort of referee because even when he was doing it to your people, he was consistent with that. And I think what we want from referees is consistency. But more on the referees later. Um, in regard to Jared Croker, I think he leads by example and he's a great man. And I think off the field, I don't think you can have a better person to lead your side. Um, at present, one of the problems I've always had with a centre being captain, especially in this day and age, is sometimes they're away from the action when it's happening and away from the referees to make their thoughts clear and known. Um, and one of the best examples of that is the players in the centre of the field, the players who are playing in the halves or the players who are playing at hooker or you know in um, the lock position, for example, are very close to the action can make their thoughts known, but they can also inspire their teams from the middle of the field. Now, I think that were Jared Croker in the middle of the field, he could do that too, but he's actually out on the edge at the present stage. Yeah. I would like to see him laying into his team more. I'd like to see him giving that to him both barrels. I, I do recall a time in, in the golden era when even the great Raiders at that period were down, there'd be this big guy in a number three jersey laying down the law to his players and telling them exactly what was going to happen and what he was going to do if it didn't. And I think there's a role for that in every side where someone actually says, yeah. get in your jobs, do your role. And I think that's something that Jared Craig will be working on. Um, but at this present stage, it would be a difficult thing for him to do because he probably wouldn't be feeling that crash hot about his personal form at this present moment either. And to be a leader of that sort, you really have to be leading from the front. And at this present stage, it'd be a tricky position for it. But I extol him, I implore for him to take that on regardless. Yeah and tell them what he expects because everyone respects him on do what he says. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of, of captaincy alternatives, if we weren't to have Jared Croker captain, you know, next season or moving forward, Josh Hodgson seems the obvious next best option to me. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts about him in the leadership role? I mean, he's in the middle of the field. He's at hooker. He's a very fierce competitor. I don't believe he liked it very much when he did at the beginning of last season when Croker had the knee injury. I don't think he liked it very much. I think he wants to focus on his job and he has a leadership component within that. But I don't think he wants to be the captain, not at this stage. He just wants to focus on his thing. I, I think the Raiders' best option at this stage, and I hear what you're saying, but I think the Raiders' best option at this stage is clearly to stick with Croker. There you go. So uh, the next sort of thing I wanted to bring up with you was... Um do you feel that we've got a number of players off contract? It seems as though, I don't know if we're not in much of a hurry to re-sign them or they're balking at re-signing. Are we about to enter another rebuilding phase? Because that's where I feel like we're at. It seems as though we were building to this point, you know, 2016, things were, were absolutely flying. It was great news. We had the spinal locked into 2018. We're in 2018 now. A bunch, they're still, most of them are still unsigned. 
Mm. Where, are we about to jettison some players and start rebuilding again? Or are we going to try and hang on to these guys? Looking at the market, there's not many um, viable options floating around in the halves. I know people say contracts mean nothing in this day and age. And they players are, are moving clubs all the time for the right offer. But yeah, do you, how do you, what's your overall sense of where we're at as a team? Um, I, I question the depth of the club. And one of the big problems with 2016 and, and the side going so well was it showcased so many of the players and their potential, which drove their price up. I know that Ricky Stewart wanted to lose neither of Sean Fansom or Paul Vaughan. He had to make tough decisions and those players went because A, we got our bid for them for what we could afford to keep them. Um, but secondly, he had to make judgments on who he was going to keep and pay the bigger money for. Now. History will, will tell whether he made the right decisions or not. Um, but it also evaporated the depth. At the end of 2016, you see a whole cadre of players who are adding depth to the side depart. You see Fensum go, you see Vaughan go, you see Brinko Lee go, you see Edric Lee go, you see all these other players who could be in the Mounties and then get drawn up. You saw Sammy Williams go, now he's back. But Steve Antonelli said to me during last season, you know, when I was talking to them about the Mounties fate at that stage because they were struggling and said well look last season I had all these players that were coming in putting pressure yeah. on this and that and it made a huge difference to what I could do and Ricky Stewart said the same thing last season I had these players down in that grade putting pressure up here the question is if there's going to be a rebuild does it actually happen from the Mounties up what do we get in there and how do we get players that down there at the present moment we do have Garvey and we do have Abby we do have Liam Knight down there we do have Jack Murchie down there. All these are credentialed players. The question is, are they getting good enough experience in that grade? And how and when do we bring them up? And at this present stage, I've seen the, the side that Ricky's named this week, and he's brought up Liam Knight onto the, onto the bench. Michael Oldfield's come up um, instead of Brad Abbey, um, and I believe Craig Garvey's on the extended bench. Um, but personally, from this perspective, exactly what you're saying, I think we need depth. And in order to get depth, you need to expose players so they are pushing pressure, putting pressure on. Mm. And at this present stage, I think it's too early to pull the emergency um, break and say, oh my God, you know, ring, ring with the changes. Um, but there has to be some element that there isn't a sacred cow on the side. Because if someone gets cut who was thinking they would stay in that shot, it makes everyone think about their position, which hopefully focuses them on playing their best game and sticking to the game plan. Well, I mean, the the, the removal of um, Fensum and Vaughan, who effectively, you can say we were outbid, but effectively they were driven out as well at the same time. There was decisions made to spend yeah. money elsewhere, yes. They were driven out at the same time. So, I mean, that sort of shows that, yeah, you know, I guess that sent a message of sorts. It does, it does. But having said that, I think any rebuild that happens now... Um, will be happening from underneath rather than anything going through the top because at this present stage, without going overseas, and there has been talk of getting the Bateman lad from Wigan yep. to come in, who's a back rower and also a leadership contender to come in, and that's something I've heard on a number of occasions and he looks like an exciting prospect. To a large extent, who's off contract and who would you, uh, who would you buy? Would you be getting into the bidding war that's going to go for... Um, young Nathan Cleary yeah I, I just maybe to drive the price up because I can't see him I can't see that he'd be 
coming to the Raiders anytime soon. Well, I think everyone has their price, but what does the Raiders have to struggle to, to sacrifice to make that price? Yeah. You, you see the situation at Manly where they have spent, you know, somewhere in the order of, you know, a quarter of their salary cap every year on one player in Daly Cherry Evans. Now we saw last Sunday against Parramatta, he's worth that money. And while you've got Jake and Tom Trebojevic around, it's great news. But what if you spend all that money on one player and then surround him with dross? And which, that's, which that's has the happened. case. Yeah, which does happen. Which does happen. It has happened to an extent with uh, with Cherry Evans because, you know, there's no money left for a, a notable 5'8 to partner him. And Van Lock and Cloak actually did well last weekend. So when it comes to a rebuild, I don't think... I think if the side can remain competitive and win a few matches until Josh Hodgson's back and not suffer injuries, they can be competitive with any side on any given day. And we might be hitting the emergency button just a tad too early here. The two losses have been close and they've been unfortunate. And they've they've also been to the bottom two teams of last year as well. And so Newcastle, obviously, we're expected to improve, but Titans really, no one had great expectations for them this season. Yeah, that's true. We, and, you know, so we supposedly have had an easy draw this year. It's not looking so easy. It's not looking I mean, obviously so there's no easy games in the NRL. It's a cliche, but it is true. But, getting to our next segment, there are extenuating factors in both those losses. So, for the first time in 2018, I introduce you to my segment, What Grinds My Gears? <laughs> This week, Blake, I want to talk to you about what grinds my gears in regards to, and you never believe it, the referees. I want Pet to subject, question subject. very much so. <laughs> I want to question why we still, after all these years, have no refs challenge of any sort. Because there was two distinct issues that happened in both the two, first two losses, where had we actually got the decision that we actually deserved and needed and should have been given, the results may have been quite different. Firstly. The player in the Titans who was offside running back and jumped on the ball in front of the sticks and we didn't get a penalty for it. Yeah. And had we taken a penalty kick at that point, it was two points, kicked us to six points in front. So when Conrad Hurrell went over, all he would have been doing was drawing the the conversion would have only been drawing the scores at that point. We could have lost stage. in golden point. We could have lost <laughs> in golden point. But we also, after kicking that, that kick from straight in front, would have got the ball back instead yeah. of the Titans having it because they ran down the other end after that point and put us under pressure. I mean, the real the real killer, I think, in the, um, in the game against the Titans though, was um, BJ's lazy arm paddling that ball and giving them six to go. This was we well like in front of that. This was well in front of it. No, but I'm and saying... Had the, the referees called what they should have called and should have seen, it was a penalty... And the fact of the matter is, yes, we're starting to get used to referees missing these sort of things, which they shouldn't be because there's two referees, two touch judges, and a whole bunker watching it, yeah. and yet they're still missing these sort of blatant things that everyone else that's, can see. That's yeah, it's, it's Why incredible. is there not a captain's challenge where yes. someone can come in and say, and you would have to have a situation in a captain's challenge where it was undeniable that the challenge was correct. So all challenges would be assumed to be wrong until proven correct. Yeah. And that's the way the system could work. Um, and the, the captain can call it and say, at that point, this happened. And go and, back in time in and, order to say And they did in the under-20s competition, whenever it was, four or five years ago. They only did it in scoring circumstances. And the problem with that... Yeah, is, I thought they did it. I thought they did it for all. I thought it was only in scoring yeah, circumstances. Could... And that's all they've been mooting that they would do it yeah. in. The problem with that 
is the scoring circumstance sometimes is the position that a side has got into when they shouldn't have even had the ball. And yeah. there has to be a time when you can say at crucial points, no, that ball was not raked out. That was just a drop. And a captain can say, no, he's just flat out dropped that. He hasn't raked that out. Or alternatively, a player can say, that ball was raked out. Or someone can say, Kevin uh, Jordan Rapiner can say, Kevin Proctor just went between my legs and tried to reef my manhood off. Please go and actually review that and penalise him. Or the, uh, the second thing that grinds my gears, when Sammy Williams kicks a 40-20 and the Raiders charge forward, R- Rapiner gets the ball to throw it in Sam Williams, who's ready, with Junior Paulo steaming on, with Kalen Ponga standing between him and the try line, and Tautai Moga knocks that ball down to stop that happening, and not one of the officials saw it for an incident that is a sin bin offence. If a captain's challenge happens at that point, that rule gets enforced. Yeah. And it grinds my gears, Blake. There it you grinds go. my grinds gears, gears that we don't have a captain's challenge. I thought that, uh, yeah, that Moga one, I thought he was going to the sin bin for sure. And this year Maybe seems to be, the sin bin seems to be given out more easily this year than oh, ever yeah. before. Whether they'll maintain, the referees will maintain that throughout the season remains to be seen there seems to be with with the referees generally in league there'll be sort of a, a hot topic for a while and they'll crack down on it and then they'll sort of move on and they'll forget about it or something else will come along or it always seems to be the rules are very fluid in rugby league aren't they yeah they are and the interpretation and I guess with that captain's challenge thing as well some of those ones as to whether or not a ball was raked out or um, just dropped are very 50-50 calls and that's right and they would have to be Distinct. It would have to be absolutely yes. We can now yeah. see that person had his hand in there and reefed the ball out. That ball would not have come out without assistance in yeah. that circumstance. And so if there was a captain's challenge and it was successful, you'd get another one? Is that how it would work? You wouldn't or? lose it. Yeah, you, you wouldn't lose it if you, it was you'd have two and a, You'd have two and a half if you get them wrong. Um, or maybe just one. One. I think two is too much. Yeah, yeah one, one and a half. If you get it wrong, you lose it. If you get it right, you keep it. And that's, that's the way it should work. If you go into extra time, you get another one. Very much like they do in the things. Now, to close off this week, Blake, let's, let's, let's focus on something positive. What have, been, what have you been happy with in the Raiders season so far? Definitely the form of two players. Um, and Shannon Boyd has been fantastic. He's back to, you know, back to where he was um, his best 2016 form. Back to his 2016 form once again, and he's looking trim, and he's looking like he actually went hard in the preseason, and he's playing brilliantly well. Um, watching him sort of bump off Mitch Barnett against the uh, Knights, and let's all hope Mitch Barnett's okay. Yes, but obviously Mitch Barnett played with the Raiders, and mm. um, he's a pretty fiery player at the best of times, and obviously you know tried to make a statement, went in hard, tried to put a shot on Shannon Boyd, and it didn't come off too well. Really didn't go very well no, for Mitch, did it? No. And I really do hope his head's okay because I would not want that to happen to me. No. Yes, I agree with you. Shannon has been in superb form. And which other player has made you happy? Jack White, I think, as well. Same thing, mm. looking really fit. Looking at the start of this year, and in our first podcast episode, I was questioning whether or not he was the right man um, to be playing at the back. And I think he's really just excelled. Mm. He's made a couple of mistakes, but I mean, they've been in tough circumstances and he's done so many good things. Yeah, now he actually didn't make an error against the Knights. Not one. 
There you go. Not one. His his game was exemplary. He made the most metres for the side. I, I thought he looked in deadly form. His defence at the last line is fantastic. But his attacking game is really coming along well. Yeah. I would like to add, and I know we've said some negative things about this, I was really happy with the return of Blake Austin's running game against the Knights. I thought he looked dangerous. I thought he looked like he had intent. And when he's doing that, he puts the opposition's in two minds and he is exciting and he backs himself I think his strength is better than it's ever been yeah. and while he did make a bad decision in defence in general in comparison to the player I first saw in a Penrith jumper who was a speed bump he's he's come along in leaps and bounds he is the right sort of person in one of these clubs he's certainly heard the edict put down by Mulholland and Ricky Stewart saying we're going to be re-signing on form and I believe he's producing that form. So it, it's absolutely So why is he why has he been named on the bench then for this weekend? I think, and I saw one of these comments uh, that come in on Twitter, which there's more smoke screens in this naming of the, the Ricky Stewart size <laughs> than I've ever seen. I'm going to need new eyeballs after this. And, and I think it's true. I'll be very surprised to see Blake Austin starting on the bench. I just will be very surprised to see it. His form, maybe he's been dropped for that bad defensive read. It yeah. is possible that's the case. Um I'm a big fan of him when running in in form and I think when he's doing those things the Raiders always look a lot better and you know the best way not to concede tries Blake is to be scoring them well that's not the problem (laughs) we're scoring plenty of tries yeah but score more (laughs) score more have to score 40 points a game to win that's the thing yes well everyone needs to get out there on Saturday to yes. the Warriors match 3pm get out there cheer their side on because the side needs it more than ever and if like myself and Blake you bleed green that is where you must be we'll see you there Tim yeah you will indeed and this is Blake and the poor signing off